Welcome to Music History Monday for June 19th, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Our Kind of Musician. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on June 19, 1810, 213 years ago today, of the German virtuoso violinist and composer Ferdinand David. Born in the exact same house in Hamburg that saw Felix Mendelssohn's birth 16 and one-half months before, David died while on vacation in Switzerland on July 18, 1873, at the age of 63. We will get to the specifics of Maestro David's life and career and why, to my mind, he is our kind of musician in a moment. But first, with your indulgence, a brief bit of editorializing. When the performer becomes the show. Marlon Brando, 1924 to 2004. Yes, Marlon Brando, actor, director, activist, and father of at least 16 children. Haha, <laughs> at least 16 children. I would respectfully suggest that a movie with Marlon Brando is not so much a movie in which Marlon Brando plays a role as it is a movie in which Marlon Brando plays Marlon Brando playing a role. Accordingly, I would assert that in A Streetcar Named Desire, Marlon Brando portrays Marlon Brando portraying Stanley Kowalski. In The Godfather, Marlon Brando portrays Marlon Brando playing Vito Corleone. In Apocalypse Now, Marlon Brando portrays Marlon Brando playing Colonel Walter Kurtz, and so forth. Brando was so brilliant, his persona so larger than life, his affectations so uniquely individual, that his personal brand always seemed to overshadow the actual characters he portrayed. So it is with certain musicians, and so it has been since the pianist Franz Liszt, 1811 to 1886, blazed across the European musical firmament during the mid-19th century. Liszt was not just the greatest pianist of his time, but the greatest pianist ever to have lived up to his time, and arguably the greatest pianist of all time. But mere pianistic greatness was not enough for Liszt. He composed a huge body of piano music that initially only he could play, music often calculated to stun simply by its technical excess. Blessed with movie star good looks and a fearless aristocratic bearing, he toured tirelessly with his music, performing in a fashion that was calculated always, to call attention to himself. Let there be no mistake about it. 
Franz Liszt was almost certainly the greatest performing musician of the 19th century. But his legend was not just a product of his pianism, but of his performing persona, which often bordered on carnival hucksterism. Many of his greatest contemporaries, including Robert and Clara Schumann, Felix Mendelssohn, Johannes Brahms, and Joseph Joachim, were awed by Liszt's pianism, but physically sickened by his onstage shenanigans. But it was Liszt's persona, those onstage shenanigans, that put derrieres in seats and money in the bank, and many, if not most of those people who paid to see Liszt perform, did so not for the music he played, but for the show he put on. The Liszt-inspired instrumental performer as hero, as God, as an object of sexual desire, pretty much disappeared by the early 20th century, only to return with a vengeance by the end of the 20th century. Part of it was rock and roll, as some young concert musicians wanted for themselves the same sort of money, popularity, and notoriety enjoyed by rock and roll musicians. For example, the British violin virtuoso Nigel Kennedy, born 1956, decided that he wanted to be the Jimi Hendrix of the classical violin. Quote, when I heard Jimi Hendrix, he made me want to play the violin like a guitar, unquote. So Nigel, as he insisted on being known, started wearing outlandish outfits on stage, slimed up his hair, and cultivated what many considered to be a bad boy attitude. Yes, indeed, his persona put butts in traditional concert seats, although at a price. He derisively became known as the Liberace of the violin. Let's be honest. Who doesn't enjoy a bit of flash now and again? But even more than rock and roll, it is the internet and social media that has today encouraged a sort of physical display, a sort of flash, a sort of potentially narcissistic distraction that is frankly new to the concert stage. For example, the pianist Yuja Wang, born 1987. She is admittedly brilliant, but so are lots of other elite pianists. Ah, but those other pianists don't come out on stage wearing micro-micro miniskirts and six-inch stiletto heels. It's hard to argue with her attitude, which is, while you got it, flaunt it. Though here we are, discussing Miss Wang's wardrobe and not her repertoire. Then there's the pianist Lang Lang, born 1982, whose performance shtick has become so exaggerated that he is, for many of his fellow professionals, impossible to watch, and for others, impossible to listen to, as evidenced by his unfortunate sobriquet of Bang Bang. The fact that both Ms. Wang and Mr. Lang 
have inspired millions of Chinese children to take up the piano is admirable. That is a function of their stardom, which is a function of their personas. Which means that at the end of the day, their concerts are as much, if not more, about selling a personal brand than of the particular music under performance. On just these lines, I trust I will not be considered a prurient prig if I point out the positively sexploitational personas projected by any number of contemporary women concert pianists. The Georgian pianist Katya Bunyatishvili, born 1987, is a talented young woman, but frankly, it is her ample bosom barely contained in her low-cut performance gowns that are, rather than her ten fingers, the two stars of her show. She moves around a lot while she plays, flinging her arms and her hair, inspiring among some of us the titillating prospect that her rack will attain escape velocity. Then there's Lola Astanova, born in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in 1982. To read her biography is to be well impressed. Quote, Astanova started touring as a concert pianist at the age of eight. In 1996, she became a laureate of the International Chopin Competition. In 1998, she was featured in the UNESCO documentary Prodigies of the 20th Century. Astanova was featured in the 2007 Classical Superstars Fantasy Concert hosted by Regis Philbin. In August 2008, the National September 11th Memorial and Museum announced Ms. Astanova's performance on the famed Steinway concert piano of Vladimir Horowitz at the Notes of Hope Benefit hosted by Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Senator Hillary Clinton. On 19th January 2012, Astanova made her Carnegie Hall debut, unquote, and so forth. Impressive, until one reads the small print. For example, the International Chopin competition mentioned in her bio is not the one with which we are all familiar, the one held in Warsaw, but rather it was the second Moscow International F. Chopin competition for young pianists, a knockoff competition for children, founded in Moscow in 1997. Astanova did indeed make her Carnegie Hall debut on January 19, 2012, in his review in the New York Times, a review entitled Air Kisses, Spike Heels, and Ample Rubato, Zachary Wolf wrote that, quote, Her taste for drama and her extreme physical abandon end up emphasizing that there isn't a great deal in her playing, unquote. Astanova is a competent pianist, but no more so than the junior and senior piano majors I used to teach at the San Francisco Conservatory. A link is provided to Ms. Astanova's performance of something called Mariage d'Amour by one Paul de Seneville. Question. 
while watching Lola Astanova in the Just Link video. Were you watching Astanova's hands? Writes musicologist Rasko Buljanchevic in his article, Visual Interpretations of Lola Astanova in New Sound International Journal of Music, volume 58, number two, quote, her video clips are strongly imbued with the prosaic erotic charge, i.e. erotic capital, that mostly seeks to seduce post-patriarchal listeners, unquote. Yeah, meaning to seduce guys like me. And yeah, that sounds about right. Unlike Yuja Wang, who as a superb pianist can get away with wearing outrageous outfits, Lola Astanova wears outrageous outfits in order to get away with being a pianist. To the point, speaking as someone who desperately wants to see concert music thrive, I've no objection, in theory at least, to enjoying a bit of flash, or flesh for that matter, now and again. However, speaking as a composer, such performers can drive me crazy. As to why, I would invoke the title of a book by the conductor Eric Leinsdorf, The Composer's Advocate, Yale University Press, 1981. For Leinsdorf, a performer is, first, foremost, and always, the composer's advocate. In his introduction, he writes, quote, the indispensable partners of knowledge and technique are imagination, thoughtful intelligence, and ultimately, the willingness to forget ourselves in the service of what we undertake to represent, the composer and his music, unquote. The operative phrase in Leinsdorf's quote, forget ourselves in the service of the music. Flash is fun until it starts to really get in the way of the music under performance. As a composer, I selfishly want a composer's music to come first in a performance and not the performer. I want to hear, understand, and be elevated by the music and not be distracted by high heels, uncombed hair, and buttock movements more appropriate for twerking rappers than pianistic execution. I want performers to forget themselves in the service of the music. Now, admittedly, there is a fine line between passionate execution and off-putting extravagance, but I know when that line has been crossed, and I personally do not like it. Give me the likes of Andras Schiff, Marta Argerich, Maurizio Pollini, Alicia Della Rocca, Emil Gilels and Murray Pariah any day over the foolishness that often passes for pianistic persona on today's concert stage. Back, finally, to Ferdinand David. Back then to our birthday boy, the violinist, composer, and teacher, Ferdinand David. As mentioned at the very top of this post, he was, by terrific coincidence, born in Hamburg in 1810, in the same house as Felix Mendelssohn was born in 1809. That shared location of their births was just the first of the parallels between them. 
They were both born Jewish, though converted to Christianity later in life. They were both child prodigies, David as a violinist and Mendelssohn at pretty much everything. They both ended up in Leipzig, where Mendelssohn became the conductor of the Gewandhaus Orchestra in 1835 and David its concertmaster in 1836. When Felix Mendelssohn founded the Leipzig Conservatory in 1843, David became the first chair of the violin department. And when Felix Mendelssohn composed his one and only violin concerto in E minor in 1844, it was David who helped Mendelssohn fashion the violin part. Mendelssohn dedicated the concerto to Ferdinand David, and David gave the concerto its premiere under Mendelssohn's baton on March 13, 1845. Ferdinand David was not just a musician's musician, meaning that other musicians respected him tremendously. He was even more a composer's musician, someone who always put the music first. We read everywhere of his scrupulous attention to musical detail, of how his astonishing technique was always employed in the service of the music he performed and never for personal vainglory, and of what a wonderful colleague he was as both a performer of chamber music and as the concertmaster of the Gewandhaus Orchestra. David was also a beloved teacher, and he made the Leipzig Conservatory a virtual mecca of violin study. His personal impact on the next 100 years of violin playing has no equal. His students in Leipzig included Josef Joachim, for whom Johannes Brahms composed his magnificent violin concerto in D major in 1878. Among Joachim's students, was the great Leopold Auer, for whom Tchaikovsky composed his violin concerto in D major, Opus 35. Among Auer's students were three of the greatest violinists of the 20th century, Misha Elman, Yasha Heifetz, and Nathan Milstein, all of whom continued Ferdinand David's legacy of putting the music first. Postscript. Ferdinand David's Violin. A fascinating postscript. Ferdinand David played a violin built in 1742 by the great Cremonese luthier Giuseppe Guarneri, 1698-1744. It eventually became Yasha Heifetz's primary violin. Heifetz also owned two violins built by Antonio Stradivari, though the Guanari was his favorite and the one he kept until his death in 1987. Heifetz willed the violin to the Legion of Honor Museum in San Francisco with the instructions that it may be taken out and played, quote, on special occasions, unquote. It is now on permanent loan to Alexander Baranchik, the concertmaster of the San Francisco Symphony. If you want to hear Ferdinand David's own violin, you'll just have to attend a performance of the San Francisco Symphony. Thank you.
to sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.